0: All right, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts. We're going to start in chapter 1. We're going to go kind of overview the first three chapters. But uh, I love what Jeff just said as he was finishing up praying about how we can be the church in the community so that we can serve the community how God wants us to. And uh, that's actually really what we're going to be talking about this morning. So it's really cool when God works like that. Again, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1. Starting out there. Um, before we get into it, though, uh, this morning we're going to be talking about are we the church, all right? And I think this is a really great thing for us to kind of look at for our church specifically because up on our wall we says we're not we say we're not going to attend the church. We're going to be the church. Um, and then also, it's really kind of cool to think about with what we just had last week about being out at Fest and not being inside the building. It's not about having the nicest building and things like that. We're going to kind of look at um, a little bit of that as we go throughout this morning. Um, but we're talking again this morning about are we the church? And I got to this whole topic um, uh, maybe a couple months back. I was listening to a, a book by Francis Chan, um, who uh, actually when I was talking to Pastor John about the book, And I said that. I was listening to a book by Francis Chan. He goes, oh, he goes, sometimes I I like to read him, but then when I do, I feel like I'm not doing something right because, you know, he seems to be like he's really on top of what God wants him to be doing as a pastor. If you don't know who Francis Chan is, he was a pastor of a church in the United States for a while. Um, The church grew and grew and grew, got really big, and then he just suddenly, him and his family, they left. They went over to China. Um, He just felt that he was kind of getting away from what we as the church are supposed to be. And basically, as he goes throughout the book, he talks about some of the time when he was in China, just seeing the difference in the church there to what it is here, um, and how they, they kind of seem to be so much more in line with what the Bible has for the church over there than we do here. We allow so many different things to distract us. Um, but now he's back in the United States, and he has uh, kind of this new church that he's doing. I believe it's called We Are Church. His book, the book that I was referring to, I think is called "Letters to the Church." Um, but his whole "We Are Church" movement, basically, um, they don't have any like full-time pastor on staff. Everybody who's a pastor also has a full-time job outside of the church, and so, and they don't have like a typical building. They meet in like people's homes and things like that. So all the money that comes into the church through offering is able to go and be used in the community or be used for missions and things like that. Um, It's a great book if you get a chance to read it or listen to it. Uh, But basically, he starts the the book out with the premise of if we were to... I think he says, go ahead and close your eyes, which is great that you can actually close your eyes when you're listening to an audio book, right? If you close your eyes trying to read the book, you kind of stop where you left off. You can't go any further. Uh, But he says, close your eyes and to kind of describe and picture what your church looks like, what our church looks like. And then he says, okay, now compare that to, how does it look if you compare it to the church that we see in the Bible and what are the differences? Um, So it's kind of a really great, I like to think of it as a measuring stick, um, almost like a, we should probably stop and kind of take inventory. Are we staying true to what we're supposed to stay true to as the church? So Basically, does our church, our modern church, not specifically this church that we're here today, but our modern church in America, does it resemble the church that we see in the New Testament, and how can we tell if it does? Um, A lot of times you hear people talking about, um, I guess mostly people serving in the church, pastors, leaders of ministries, kind of talking about whether or not they're seeing any success in the church, or sometimes we'll we'll label it as growth, Um, but really a lot of times when we're referring to there is how many people are going to be or how many people are there how many people are coming in what's the offering look like and things like that and so basically we get this idea in our head of what success in the church looks like and it begins to drift away from what success in the church looks like in the bible right we end up chasing those numbers trying to have the bigger numbers and we try and add all these different things in order to achieve those numbers and in the meantime we're drifting away from the From what the original mission is, what the original message that we're supposed to be bringing as the church. So, I mean, you want to think about things like having the newest kind of sound system, right? Uh, We've been blessed to be able to have the sound system that we have uh, and TJ being able to help us to to upgrade those things, and those are great. uh, Another thing that you can do in the church to kind of try and help growth in the church is having different programs, right? Kids programs, youth programs, uh, adult Bible studies in different times. And a lot of churches today focus so much on trying to get all these new things. How are we going to get more people in while drifting away from, well, why are we here to begin with? So I'm not saying that those things are bad. That's not a bad thing to have, you know, the newest sound and the newest programs. But if those tend to become the focus and the focus comes off of Christ, then those are just, it's, it's pointless, right? We were able to have a service outside last week And we didn't have the full sound system. We had a little miniature version of it so that you guys could hear as well. Um, But we were able to have a great service last week. Didn't have any of those fancy things, these nice comfy chairs. We had metal folding chairs out there. So it's not about the different things that we have. That's not what our focus needs to be. If we're looking to those for success, we're looking in the wrong place. Um, So with all this in mind, I kind of want us to kind of think about a couple terms, struggling or failing. Right, A lot of people use those terms to describe a church or a ministry that they lead. Well, I feel like this ministry is kind of struggling, it's failing. Well, why is it struggling? And what are we doing to fix it when, we're str- when it's struggling? Are we trying to add something new here, you know, get bright flashing lights and things like that? Or are we looking to make sure that we're still focused on Christ, on the foundation of the church? Because as we're going to see here in Acts, the first church there, they didn't have any of the new stuff that we have, right? They didn't have electricity. They didn't have anything like that. But as we're going to see, the church was still growing in numbers every single day, and the message always stayed the same. So they were able to grow without all these fancy things. We should be able to do that, right? So that's where we're going to start. Are we the church? Okay? So we're going to start, like I said, in Acts chapter 1. We're going to go kind of cover Acts 1, 2, and 3, um, and just kind of do a little bit of an overview of that with this idea of are we the church? With that in mind. So, first, I want to read in Acts chapter 1, we're going to read verse 8 there. This is where we're going to see that the mission is given. The first kind of thing that we're going to talk about to kind of summarize what we're seeing in Acts 1, it's really the leaders of the first church. That's our focus in Acts 1. So, the first thing we see is that the mission is given in Acts chapter 1. It says, but ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So this, this is the mission of the church. This is what we as Christians are supposed to be doing, right? And we see this in different areas in the, in the New Testament as well, right? You go to Matthew chapter 28, you get the Great Commission there, talking about not just taking the message to everywhere, but also to make disciples of the people that you have there. Um, and then even in 2nd Timothy 2, Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says in 2nd Timothy 2, 2, to the things that you've heard and seen from me, do, and then teach to those who can then go and teach it to others. So it's just this constant cycle of teaching somebody who can then teach others, raise people up, making disciples. So that's the mission that's given. We see here in Acts 1, 8, to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And I'm sure at some point, if, if you've been in church for a certain amount of time, you've probably heard people kind of go into detail of, well, how do I apply this to my life specifically when it's naming these places that are nowhere near where I live, right? And so I'm sure you've probably heard the example of, okay, well, Jerusalem, that's, that's where you live. That's the area right around you, okay? Our community. If you want to think of our church, it's our local community. That's our Jerusalem. And then Judea would be maybe a little bit bigger, right? Maybe our region maybe even our state, things that we're able to to help spread the gospel in our region. Um, And then we're going to kind of jump over Samaria for a second. And then to the uttermost parts of the earth. How are we supposed to carry it to the uttermost parts of the earth? Well, we could go, right? God might be calling some of us to to go into full-time missions and go overseas, go to these different places where we can literally physically take the gospel with us and fulfill this mission overseas. But maybe God's not calling us to do that. But we can support those people who do. Right Through prayer, through, through giving offering for those people, for the church to be able to send those missionaries. If you go out here, you see the missionaries that we support on the wall. Those are all people that we take you know, some of the money that we bring in and we send to them so that they can fulfill this part of the mission. And we can fulfill this part of the mission through them, like I said, through giving, but also through praying for them. There's prayer cards out there that we can grab and be praying for those missionaries who are doing this full time. So, like I said, that's probably something that we've all heard before, that kind of breaking down those different areas. Um, but it, like I said, we were skipping over Samaria for a second, but we're going to come back to that right now. Now, a lot, of, a lot of you probably know that the Samaritans and the Jews didn't really get along, right? We know this from several different stories. The parable of the Good Samaritan, or when Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman at the well, right? The Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along, So if that's the case and you're a Jewish person, you're not going to be very comfortable going to Samaria to do this, to fulfill this part of the mission. So how do we apply that to us today? Well, Samaria might be where we might not want to go, someplace that's not comfortable for us to go, or maybe a place that's not comfortable for us to share it. Maybe that's at work. Maybe we're uncomfortable sharing with family members just because, well, my family, they know me better than anybody else. So if I try to share the gospel with them, they'll... They, they can point at every single thing that I've done wrong, right? Because they know me better than anybody else. So Samaria might be where it's uncomfortable, uneasy for you to, to share the gospel, all right? And so now the next thing that we're going to look at with the leaders of the first church is that the foundation of the church itself is laid. And we're going to be reading verses 12 through 14 here in Acts 1. Verse 12 says this. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John. <clears throat> and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes, and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the, woman, with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. So what's happening here is this is the group of the disciples. These are the men who followed Jesus and served with him in his earthly ministry. And he just kind of gave his final charge to them before he ascended into heaven, as we were reading in verse 8. And so what they do now, they receive this mission, and then they immediately go to this place, and they come together. in verse 14 says they come in one accord in prayer and supplication. They knew, okay, God's, Jesus gave us this mission firsthand. This is what we're supposed to go do. They knew that the very first thing that they needed to do in order to do that was, let's come together, let's pray. Let's not do anything else before we pray. So the leaders here in the first church, the, 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 the disciples and a few others, they made it clear that prayer was of the utmost importance. The first thing that they did after Jesus ascended into heaven was they went to pray. They immediately went to, you know, in verse 8, he talks about the Holy Ghost is going to come upon you. They knew that they still kind of had, there was going to be a connection between them and God. They knew Jesus was saying, when I leave, you're not going to be alone. And so they wanted to continue that connection with, with God through prayer. And so this right here is where they're laying the foundation. And there's been several times when I've filled in for Pastor John, when I've kind of talked about our ministry, if it's not focused and centered and the foundation isn't Christ... And if it's a person, like say if I'm leading a ministry and it's all kind of focused on what I bring to the table within that ministry, then if I'm taken out of the picture, that ministry is going to fall apart. But if the foundation is Christ, then I can step aside, somebody else can step in, and it still stands. Nothing, they almost don't skip a beat. And so they knew that the foundation that needed to be connected to God, connected to Christ, and they knew that that was through prayer. And then finally, in in chapter 1, we're going to see that they were building their team. So Acts chapter 1, verse 23 through 26 is where we're going to be. 23 says this, And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So basically what they're doing here, as we just read, they're filling in that void that was left when Judas was gone. Okay? So they wanted to get back to kind of the full leadership group. They wanted to have, like, they, they knew from their time working with Jesus they kind of all had a different role that they played in this ministry with Jesus. So they knew that everybody's going to have to have a specific role going forward. And so they wanted to make sure that they had the full team set in place. So, they, again, they wanted to make sure they had the right team going forward. And, again, we can see in, uh, we can see there as we read through those verses in verse 24 that, again, they prayed as they went through this, this process of selecting somebody to fill Judas' spot. So for us today, we can apply that to ourselves within the church as, what is my role in this church in North Gridland reaching the community and fulfilling this mission that was given to us? We all have a role, whether, no matter what, right? What our, whether our gifts are with music or with teaching kids or whatever it might be, we have some kind of role to play in fulfilling this mission through this church. Or if it's within a ministry, right? When you have a ministry set in place, you're going to have a, a team. You're going to have this person who has this, this role. Everybody has their own job to do within that ministry. And the reason for doing that is making sure that we're not missing a single beat in fulfilling this mission. Another thing that it does with having multiple peoples in different roles is that it's, a lot, it's there to help us stay on track with the mission. The more people you have, the more there, more accountability there is to keep us from drifting away from the mission that was given. So to kind of look back over Acts chapter 1 and how we apply it to us as the church today, the first thing that we noticed that we pointed out was that from the time they began, from the minute, well, not in the minute because they traveled a Sabbath day journey, but from right after they uh, received this mission from Christ, they decided, let's go pray. Before we do anything else, let's pray. And then as they were doing that, they were laying the foundation for the church going forward. Because all these, these people who were leaders in the early church... They knew as they go down the road and different things come along the way, they can think back to when this first started. They can think back to how they immediately went to God in prayer. So if a bump in the road comes along the way further down the line, let's go to God in prayer, right? Prayer, prayer, prayer. Their their focus was prayer, and that was the foundation of the church going forward because that was going to keep them centered on Christ. And they also wanted to make sure that they had the right team. They wanted to make sure that everybody had their own role going forward so that everybody kind of plays their their spot on the team when it comes to fulfilling this mission that Christ called them to. So let's apply that to ourselves today, right? Us within the church, or if you're within a ministry, and we're going back to that idea of struggling or failing, are we struggling or failing with the numbers? Are we struggling or failing with with keeping the mission the main focus? Are we even giving out the gospel. Are we sharing the gospel the best way that we can be? So establishing this idea of prayer first, being the foundation, that's going to help us to stay on track with fulfilling the mission that we see given here, not just in Acts, but in those other places that we talked about. So as we move to to Acts chapter 2, we kind of see as we we're going to read through these passages here, we're going to see the Spirit move, come upon them, and we're going to see the numbers grow. All right. And kind of before we get into this, I want to kind of bring a little bit more focus back to what it is, the mission that we've been given. It's to take the gospel and take it to everyone around us, to the ends of the earth, make disciples of those people, all right? And it should, a lot of times we we say it's hard to do that, and it can be hard to talk to people, to bring it up, and that's something that uh, I would say over the last year we've kind of touched on quite a few times with the youth group on Wednesday nights when it comes to how can I share my faith? How do I share the gospel? How do I even start that conversation? Um, And a lot of it comes down to just having a good relationship with the person that you're sharing it with. But when it comes to the actual message, sharing the message of the gospel, that should be easy for us, right? Because of what we know the gospel to be, of the hope that comes with it. And when I say the word hope, I'm talking about a spiritual kind of hope, like a confidence of what's to come. Now there's, you know, kind of earthly hope if you want to talk about it like that, where well, hopefully this happens, hopefully this turns out in my favor. Um, One thing that I think about when I think of this earthly kind of hope, and as I get into this story and I might say something, you're immediately going to start to laugh when you make the connection. Um, But when I think of an earthly kind of hope, last fall, um, my brother and I were able to go to a Lions game, all right? So we might already be making the connection of hope and the Lions. Um, But it was the first game of the season, Monday Night Football. They were playing the, the New York Jets, who had a rookie quarterback. So, you know, should be able to win this game, right? So we're going. And I had been to Ford Field for a couple other regular season games. And I've been a Lions fan my whole life, right? I I know what to expect from them. But, and everybody who's there knows what to expect from them, but they still, they get fired up and it's, that place is loud, you can't even hear yourself. Um, and so obviously that's amplified being first game of the season, Monday night football, everyone's thinking we're gonna, we should be able to win. And the first play of the game, the Lions intercepted the pass for a touchdown, a pick six. And that, like the roof about blew off the place, it was so loud, like it actually even kind of hurt your ears. And in that moment, there was so much hope within that stadium, within the city of Detroit, the state of Michigan, for it to all come crumbling down so fast because they ended up getting blown out in that game. I don't even remember the final score because, honestly, I want to forget it. But, and it it was a great time anyway, but that, to me, is one of, like, the biggest examples of earthly kind of hope, right? There was so much built up, especially with that first play. Everyone's like, this is awesome. Like, maybe this is going to be it, right? Only to see every, like, Man, walking, leaving the stadium with the people who were still there by the end of the game, and just kind of watching everybody walk into their cars, just so much like, man, you would have thought that, you know, their dog just died or something like that. People were so downtrodden and depressed. But that's a different kind of hope, right? That's like a kind of wishful thinking kind of hope. But the hope that we're able to share with the gospel, that's a confidence kind of hope, right? I know what is to come. That is my hope for the future, so when we go to share this message, to, to fulfill this mission, that's what we need to keep in mind, right? We need to focus on what the message actually is, and that's going to kind of take some of the burden off ourselves. And we're going to get a little bit more into that idea as we go uh, throughout these next few chapters. But in, in Acts chapter 2, we're going to see how the Spirit moves and the numbers grow. The first thing that we see is, is that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes upon the people who are there in verses 2 through 4. It says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with their with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So, The first thing that we notice here when it talks about the fire coming upon them and sitting on their heads, you see that happen. That's a pretty visible difference, right? That's a pretty obvious physical difference with these people. And really, now I'm not saying that when we we walk out of here today that we should have, you know, fire on our heads, but there should be an obvious difference when people look at us. There should be an obvious difference of us being a follower of Christ. And that's another thing that we've kind of touched on uh, quite a bit with the youth group on Wednesday nights is that when people see us, the way that we live, the way that we interact with people, the way that we talk, they should be able to see that there is a difference in us. They should, maybe they don't know, well, he's obviously a Christian. They just know something's different, right? And maybe they'll say, okay, how, how are you able to act like this, right? One thing that I always say is we read in the Bible about a piece that passes understanding, how are we able to keep peace in difficult times? Well, it's because of who we know and the message that we know and that we've accepted. And so when people see that, they, they they ask questions. They want to know, what is it that makes that person different? Maybe it'll even it'll confuse them, almost frustrate them to the point of, how can this person always have joy no matter what? And so there should be a physical difference when people look at us. And actually, I want to turn real quick to John chapter 13, where we're going to see another example of this. John chapter 13, and we're going to read a couple verses there. John 13, and we're going to start in verse 34. It says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have loved one to another. So basically, Jesus is saying, love people, love others, whether it's Christians or non-Christians, just love others the way that I have loved you. So we need to be living out the love of Christ that we've experienced, that we've accepted when we accepted salvation. That alone, just constantly showing that love of Christ to others, because we know the difference that the love of Christ makes, right? If we've accepted Christ as our Savior, we know the difference that his love makes. So if we're living that love out to other people each and every day, that's going to be, they're going to know by just how we live and act that we're a follower of Christ. They're going to know that something is different. So we see here, they had that physical difference in them. They had that fire come upon them. They're standing out from other people, drawing attention. That's um, a, it's a pretty crazy sight if you try to imagine it in your head. But there's a physical, obvious difference. And what happens here is Peter, he sees an opportunity, Right? And that's what we need to do as Christians is we need to be looking for opportunities. But he sees an opportunity because he goes on uh, throughout most of the chapter, actually, uh, and we're going to read through kind of what he talks about. But really, he sees this opportunity, the people who don't have the fire on their heads, the normal looking people, they see this craziness going on with the fire on other people's heads. It's drawing attention. So Peter sees an opportunity. I can explain this to them, tell them what's going on, and this can be my in, if you want to think of it that way, to share the gospel with these people. So the passage that we're going to read here is quite a bit longer than what we've read so far, um, but we're really just going to be able to see Peter's message to the people here. So we're still in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 14 there. It says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, Lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. Um, so that right there, we can tell that Peter has somewhat of a sense of humor, because not only do they have the fire on their heads, but they're also speaking in different tongues. And he's saying, to "People, calm down. They're not drunk. You know, it's it's not even lunchtime yet." All right, so. Only being the third hour of the day. Verse 16. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out, my, pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you. As ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the way of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulchre is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, knowing that God in, had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, he, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, wherefore we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, He hath shed forth this, which which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes my footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter, And to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. So there's a lot of things that we see there, but the main, one of the main things that is happening, kind of the overarching thing that Peter's doing, is he's first he's bringing up prophecy that was given, because as we saw at the beginning of him talking, he's mainly talking to Jewish people. He's talking to people in Jerusalem um, and people of Judea. So he knows that they know the prophecy that was spoken. So he's starting out by making that connection to them to explain what's going on. Um, And that's one way that we can be able to share the gospel to others today is try to make a connection with that person one way or another. Um, Obviously make a personal connection with them to have some kind of relationship, some kind of interaction with them where they feel more comfortable with listening to what we have to say. They see us as more trustworthy. Um, But also make a connection to maybe their interests and things like that. Um, uh, I think it was probably a couple months ago now uh, where we were going through a series on Wednesday nights, and it was a lot about sharing your faith. And uh, one of the resources that Word of Life provided for it was they provided a link to a website where it had a bunch of different... They they had, they had categorized it by the names of the people, um, but a bunch of different religions. And they used it uh, as far as they had all these different people. This person was this religion, and, you know, it was... It was kind of cheesy to an extent because they had, like, um, I don't know, Matthew the Mormon, and they had, you know, Jessica the uh, the Jew, and things like that. So kind of alliteration playing with the names there. But really what it did is you you click on this different person with their different belief, and it was a great way to kind of show understanding what they believe, how can I make a connection to what the Bible says, right? So, like, for instance, it was talking about the Mormons, like, you know, I, I appreciate the, you know, the diligence, the diligence that the people within your faith have to go and share the message and things like that, right? We know that, they, that they're all about going door to door, sharing their message. Um, and so it was this great kind of uh, witnessing tool to, first of all, learn more about what these other people believe, but how can I use what I know that they believe to make a connection to the Bible for them and then show them the truth that's in the Bible, um, so that was the first thing that Peter's doing. He's making a connection to these people. He's saying, this is the prophecy that you know about. It's happening right in front of you. This is what's going on. So he's, he uses this visible difference as an opportunity to share the gospel. So as we are going throughout our daily life, right, whether going to work, spending time with family, whatever it is, we need to look for these opportunities. That God, pray for God to reveal these opportunities to us, that when they're there, that we don't pass them by. And sometimes it it might not even be actually bringing out your Bible and showing different passages. It's just an opportunity to share the love of Christ with other people. All right? And, And Peter, he saw this opportunity, and he grabbed a hold of it. So how do we put ourselves in a better position to take hold of these opportunities? Well, if we're living and acting and speaking the love of Christ each and every day and living a life that reflects the fact that we believe and trust in him then again, people are going to notice those differences. And if we're seeking those opportunities out, praying for God to reveal those to us, we're going to notice them more often. All right? Um, I bring it up quite a bit, but a few years back, we did a men's Bible study where it was about prayer. And one of the things that it talked about was write down your prayer requests. And in doing that, it helped me to realize so much more, even if it was, at least in my mind, a tiny prayer request, I was able to realize when God answered that request because I actually had that written down to where now as I was going throughout my day and all of a sudden I go, whoa, that was an answer to prayer, right? Just writing it down, having that to keep that as a reminder of what I asked God for, the the request that I brought to him. Now, he might not have answered necessarily in the way that I wanted, but I was able to notice, again, like I said, even the small request about how God answered prayer, So if we ask God, God revealed to me an opportunity today where I can share the gospel, where I can fulfill this mission that you gave us as a church, and we ask him to reveal those chances to us, you're going to notice a lot more like, okay, here's an opportunity. And then as we go into Acts chapter 3, we're going to see where we can get the power to do that. But so we can look to Peter as an example here about how he sees this opportunity that he saw before him. So now let's read a few more verses here. Um, as we close Acts chapter 2 out. We're going to read verses 41 through 47. This is after Peter, he got up and he he talked about the prophecy, made the connection, and then he followed that up with giving the gospel. And then here's what happened after that. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now, you notice there that it doesn't say that... They gladly received it. Peter played the newest church podcast. They felt the spirit move, and then they accepted, and then there were 3,000 souls, right? He just spoke to them. He didn't have any fancy things. Again, like I said before, it's not a bad thing to have these fancy things, but we don't need it to advance the gospel. We can use it as a tool to deliver the gospel. So unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So we see here that many were saved and that the church grew, right? And the first thing that we see as we're reading through this, that prayer remained a pillar of this early church. When they had come together, they were praying. They were spending time together praying as we read through the latter part of that passage. It remained of the most importance. They came together and they stayed with that idea of of prayer. And then we also see in verses 42 through 44, we see this idea of unity, that they came together. And that's important for us, especially um, as a church, to be able to reach the community around us the best way possible. If there's this unity within our church, we're not going to be able to fulfill this mission the best way that we can. Or maybe not even at all, because if people know that, okay, that church, they're always bickering, they're always fighting, nobody can really get along there. Somebody comes in and visits, and there's like a clear section of four seats in the middle where nobody sits all the way back, and it's just like completely parted. You walk into that, you go, how do I know which side to sit on? Like, clearly there's sides here. Which side do I pick? There's obviously some kind of division there, so there's no unity. And that was another thing of importance for them. Um, We even saw that back to when they were building and assembling their team, right? They wanted to make sure they prayed to God, revealed to us which one of these two men that should take this position in our team. So they, they understood that they needed to do this together through prayer and to stay together with, together with it. And the mission that was given at the very beginning became the top priority. We see that in verse 45. It says that they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. They realized this is kind of where, like, all those extra fancy things that we talked about at the beginning, how it's not bad to have them, but it's not what we need. They realize, okay, and these are the people the, with the three people who just accepted the gospel, right? The people who just now joined the church. They're like, all right, I'm all in. Let's go. I'm going to sell this, sell this, give it to these people who need it. Let's go do this. All right. They understood that this, they could have everything taken away from them. Like Job had everything taken away from him, but he still had God. They knew that they still had their, their salvation. They still had Christ and the Holy Ghost. That's all they needed. they could lose everything, but really still have literally everything that they need so again, kind of bringing it back to what we've mentioned before, they were able to, all this was able to happen this great growth within the church just within one day, and it said that they grew daily. this was all able to happen without trying to fix it with this new program or whatever it might be um, but it's important to notice that even as their numbers grew, that we saw that they remained. Uh, they remain faithful to the original message, to the mission that was given to them. Because let's be honest, as a ministry grows or as a church grows, um, especially if it grows in numbers, you would be like, okay, we, we want to continue to chase that. We want to continue to grow in numbers and things like that. And maybe you hit a lull where it kind of levels out. There's a plateau, or maybe even dip. Okay, what do we need to do next week to change that? We need to get more people to come in. And maybe as we do that, we're trying to find all these different solutions, and the message takes a back seat. Even as they grew daily, and we see in the one day they grew by 3,000 people, they were still able to stay true to the original message. So as our church, this church here, or our ministries within this church, or the church in our country as a whole... As it grows, we need to make sure, we need to do our part to make sure that we're still on track with the message that we're supposed to be taking out to the world. Basically, it kind of comes down to, you know, when you hear about people who maybe they move to a new area and they're trying to find a church to go to, you know, and they go to one church and they say, well, I really like the music that they did there. Or you go to the other one, I like the lighting that they had. I really liked how this pastor talked. It's not bad to have those preferences, right? Right? But the first thing that we need to focus on when we're looking for a new church, or maybe we're on vacation and want to visit a church, uh, the first thing that we really need to be pulling away from our experience at that church is, did they preach the Bible? Like, were they rooted in the Bible? Okay, again, all those other things, that can kind of be put on your preference list, okay? But if you shouldn't just be choosing a church just because, you know, they have all these things that you really like, you know, it really kind of tickles your fancy, um... You need to be choosing a church based on the truth that is being taught, whether they're, they're preaching the Bible. So we shouldn't be choosing a church based on the surface. And that's not what these people were really doing. They weren't about the surface things. They got rid of all the surface things. They got down just to the message. So that's the takeaway that we need to take from Acts chapter 2 when it comes to being the church and living out that mission. And finally, we're going to see in Acts chapter 3 how we're able to carry that out because We all know from experience, one way or another, that a lot of times we get in our own way when it comes to taking this message out into the world. So in Acts chapter 3, we're going to understand the power of Jesus' name. Right now we're going to start in verse 1, read the first 16 verses. It says there in Acts chapter 3, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour, And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked in alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle, and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed healed, held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we made this man to walk? And the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus." Whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy Ghost, the Holy One, and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. And killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong. Whom ye see and know, yea, the faith which is by him that hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So for one of the things I want to kind of pull out that's kind of uh, funny here, and we even saw it in chapter 2, is that Peter, he's kind of good at slipping in a little bit of a guilt trip, right? When he was uh, kind of reminding them of prophecy and giving the gospel in chapter 2, and then even here, he's kind of saying... This is all done by Jesus. Remember the guy that you had crucified? Remember the guy who was before Pilate and you wanted a murderer to be given, be given back to you so that he could be killed? It's almost kind of like, you know, you put yourselves in their shoes as they're sitting there listening to him talk. you like, okay, we get it, right? We know that we did it. Okay, you don't need to bring it up. But he's kind of giving this to them, reminding, okay, this is what happened. But again, he's also kind of making connection back to the prophecy, right? He's reminding them, Yes, you did this, but this fulfilled the prophecy about all the suffering that he went through, okay? But mainly we see here that it was the power of God in the name of Jesus that healed the lame beggar. And Peter made it a point to to remind the people of that. Yes, he's healed, but it was God who healed him. You look back in verse 6, Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. It wasn't Peter, it wasn't just because Peter was the one doing it. It could have been anybody who was doing it. It was the power of God through the name of Jesus who did it. And what I really love in verse six there is the first thing that Peter said: Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. It it sounds like, hey, listen, I don't really have anything to give to you, but I will give to you what I have. And really, what he had to give to him was more valuable than any silver or gold that he could have gotten. So Peter was kind of saying that he had nothing to give, but really he had everything to give him, everything that that man needed. And this is another great example of how Peter saw an opportunity, right? He was able to notice the guy who was there and he saw the need and he saw this chance to go do something great in the name of God. And it probably could have been a little easy for him to overlook the guy because probably not the first time Peter's been there. It says here that that guy went to the gate every single day. To ask for alms. So he could probably blend in pretty easily, right? If he's going there every single day and if you've been there multiple times, you almost don't even notice him as you're walking in just because it's almost part of the scenery at this point. That guy's there, he's always there, right? That's why the people, when he came walking inside, they're like, wait, isn't that the guy who's been sitting out there? Some of them might have been thinking like, I gave that guy something last week and here he is walking. He didn't need anything that I gave him. But instead, this is a great opportunity that Peter was able to seize to not just help this man, right, not just use the power of Christ to heal him, but to use it as an opportunity to share with the people who were there. So, again, Peter made sure that the people knew whose power healed the lame man. And the power of God in Jesus' name will save those who repent, even though they mistreated Jesus and led to his crucifixion. He's talking here, yes, you did these things. Yes, you delivered him to be killed. But even though you did that, you can still be saved through the power of salvation. And we can take that to us today. You know, a lot of times when you share the gospel with somebody, they might say, well, I've done too many bad things. You know, I can't, God can't save me. And I think it was uh, a few weeks ago um, on a Sunday night, Pastor John was talking about how that's almost like an arrogant thought. Not, you don't realize it's an arrogant thought if you've said it or if you hear somebody say it, but you're kind of saying, I've done so bad that even God can't, can't save me, right? The sins that I've committed... They exceed God's power. Well, aren't you awesome, right? But again, that's not really the idea that people are thinking when they say that, but it kind of comes off that way to an extent. But no matter what we've done, no matter what the people that we're sharing the gospel with have done, if they accept the gift of salvation, they can be saved. God's able to cleanse all sin, okay? So we see in verses 17 through 26, when Peter kind of goes into this idea, says, and now, brethren... I wot that through ignorance ye did it, and did also your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you whom the heaven shall who the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you, of your brethren, like unto me him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you, first of God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. So again, as we're reading this, we can tell that Peter is definitely speaking to Jews. But again, he's kind of pointing out, saying, yes, you did these things. Yes, you helped lead Jesus to crucifixion. But he's reminding, of, reminding them that it was prophesied that he was going to suffer and, and that he was going to go through all of this. And he even kind of says that through your ignorance, you did it, and so did your leaders. He's saying, yes, you did it, but you didn't really understand at the time what you were doing. Right, Because there was many people, even as Jesus was in front of them and even said to them, claiming that he was the Messiah, they still didn't make the connection. They still didn't believe that he was. So he's saying, yes, you led Jesus to crucifixion. Yes, you did these things. But this was going to happen. right? It was prophesied. It was going to happen either way. Don't let the fact that you did this hinder you from accepting this truth that we know as the gospel because he said, even though you've done that, he can still save you. So again, Peter told them, he reminded them that they were ignorant, that they, didn't, they kind of really didn't even know any better what they were doing at the time. Now you know, now you can repent, and now you can accept the truth because we know that those things were prophesied. Despite all of these things, you can be saved. So us as the church, whether it's the church as a whole or a ministry within the church, we need to recognize the power of Jesus' name going forward. How are we supposed to take... This, what, this message of the gospel out into the world around us as the church. How are we supposed to do that? Well, start with prayer, right? That's what they did here. Start with prayer and then understand that everything that we're doing, we need to be doing in Jesus' name. And really, that takes pretty much all of the burden off of us. All we have to do is just be the tool that goes out and, and spreads the message. It's God's message, right? We're doing it through prayer in the power of his name. He's just using us to go do that. So it takes a lot of the burden off of us to go do this. Um, But it can be really easy. It's a lot easier to say that than to actually live it out, right? To say, well, you know, God can do anything through us. He's able to use us to, to fulfill all of these things. But, again, we need to remember what the power of Jesus is. The power that's in his name, right? That was the power of God through Jesus. That's what saved us to begin with. No matter what we did, he was still able to save us. So... If we understand and we are confident in our salvation enough to know that it was the power of God that saved me, then we should be confident that the power of God can help us to then take that message and share it with other people. Okay, so really, when we're coming up with answers as to why we can't do it, it's just a bunch of excuses, right? And if we're, again, leaning on the power of God to use us to do this, the pressure's off of us. So, again, through prayer in the power of Jesus' name, we can take this message to the world around us. We can fulfill this mission that was given. So to kind of wrap things up, the mission that was given to the church was pretty clear, right? We saw it even in a couple places, but in Acts one eight, he says that the Holy Ghost is going to come upon you and that you'll be witnesses of me in the entire world, starting around you, close to you, and extended the ends of the earth, right? And we know again from Matthew that we're also supposed to make disciples of those people so that they can go do the same thing. So the mission that was given was pretty clear. And that's the mission that we need to take out into the world today. So that, in this example here, is really our measuring stick to evaluate, are we really the church? Are we successful? Or are we failing and struggling? Those words that we need to be, all those words right there need to be in context to what we see here, the example of the church here. So, again, recognizing it's not, for us to lean on our own abilities to fulfill this, this mission, we're supposed to lean on the power of God to do it. So to kind of take a step back, and again, this isn't like a specific, like, directed just at this church at North and more so at the church in America in general, but we can take what we've seen here and kind of look and, you know, make sure that we're in line with what this says here in our ministries within this church, in this church as a, as a whole or even in our personal ministry and sharing the gospel. Are we successful? Are we failing? But are we failing with what this says here? You know, sometimes it can be discouraging to have, you know, a low crowd based on what you're used to seeing. Be like, well, are, are we really doing it, right? And kind of going back to the, the book that I mentioned by Francis Chan, um, he was talking about, and he even, there was even one of the chapters when he was saying, now, just because I'm saying this is how we did it, that doesn't mean that this is the way that you have to do it, right? You can have different delivery methods for this message, but the message needs to, needs to stay the same. But he was talking about how, you know, it's not necessarily about the numbers, right? You could have 10 people, you could have 100 people, you could have 1,000 people. But are those, do those 1,000 people know what the message is here? right? You could have a thousand people and a lot of them, they're all just there for surface reasons. You're, you're just kind of preaching fluff and things like that, not preaching the gospel because you don't want to hurt their feelings. We need to know that the Bible, as we preach the, God, the Bible, what it is, is going to offend people, right? Nowadays, it's hard to say anything without offending people, but we know that the Bible is going to offend people. And why is that? It's because this is saying that things that they're doing, they shouldn't be doing. People don't like to be told to stop doing what they want to do, Right? So, this is going to offend people. We shouldn't let that stop us from saying what it says. So, you could have 1,000 people one week and just give them just a lot of fluff and really nothing at all. And then you could have 10 people the following week. And if, if the message of the, the truth of the gospel is actually being preached and reaching those people, then based on what the, the church is supposed to do, that week of 10 people receiving the truth was more successful than the week of 1,000 people getting nothing. So that's what we need to keep in mind when we're using these ideas of success or failure or struggling in our ministries or in our church. So with all this in mind, as we go into invitation, I want us to think, are we the church? Are we the church that we see here, or are we the church that we've kind of become accustomed to? So what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and bow our heads, and we're going to go into a time of invitation. The band's going to come, and as we go through this time of invitation... Just kind of think about the the things that we talked about here this morning, the the example of the church that we see here in Acts. And first of all, we need to look inward to ourselves, right? We need to look at our own hearts. Am I staying on track with the mission? And then from there, okay, if there's any ministry that I'm involved in, am I doing my job to make sure that that ministry is on track? And then beyond that, our church and the church as a whole – what am I doing to help make sure that things are staying on track with the mission that is given and not trying to get our own version of success? So let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, I just thank you for today. I thank you for the example of the church that we see here in Acts. And I just pray that uh, that as we go forward um, in our own personal lives or in ministries we might be involved in or within the church, um, really just as we're reaching our community around us, that we would try to match the church that we see here in Acts. Yes, we know that they didn't do everything perfect, but they stayed true to the mission. They've, they built their, their ministry, their, everything, the foundation was prayer. And I pray that we would do the same, that we would uh, understand the importance of prayer going forward and to just stay true to the mission and to lean on your power in the name of Jesus to, to help carry that mission out, that we wouldn't rely on our own abilities, God, that we would trust in you to help us carry that mission out. So just be with us as we're here today, as we leave and go throughout uh, the rest of the day, whatever our plans are, maybe this week, God, I pray that we would be able to notice these opportunities to help spread the message that we know that we're supposed to be sharing. Just allow us to be able to uh, maybe make adjustments that we need to make in order to better align with the example that we looked at this morning, God. Just be with us throughout this morning and pray everything in Jesus' name. Go ahead and stand with us. We're gonna sing through a song here. And uh, if, if if you want to come forward and pray here, or you want to pray in your seats, just kind of take take a look at ourselves first again, because that's where it starts. Look at our own hearts. Are realigned with what we need to be doing as the church.